0: The Choose Love Movement offers no-cost solutions that keep our kids safe, providing them with the skills and tools they need to flourish. Join us in our mission to create the world we want to live in, one that's connected and compassionate. Check us out at chooselovemovement.org. Together, we can choose love.
1: Hi. My name is Scarlett Lewis, and I am the founder of the Jesse Lewis Choose Love Movement. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Choose Love podcast. Today, I am interviewing John Romano, who perpetrated a school shooting 20 years ago in his high school in New York. He was 16 years old at the time. He shot at a few of his classmates and hit one of his teachers in the leg. He pled guilty and spent the next 17 years in federal prison. He's out now and shared his story on the Choose Love podcast in hopes that it will shed some light on how and why school shootings happen and how to prevent them. I ask when you listen to keep your heart open to his story and what he has to say. I believe people can make mistakes, horrific ones, and be rehabilitated and come back to their true essence, which is, of course, love. I say this with some credibility because I've worked for years in prisons and have met many men and women who have done horrific things that have been transformed by choosing love. I believe that John wants to be part of the solution. I think a powerful way of doing this is to share his story so that we can understand the pain beneath these devastating tragedies. I've spoken to other school shooters as well because I want to ask the questions I didn't get to ask the man who murdered Jesse. What happened that caused you to do this? What needs weren't met? What could have been done that would have kept you from committing these atrocities? The answers are usually very similar, and it has to do with being seen. You'll hear that in this podcast as well. Don't discount the importance of this. As humans, we are desperate for validation and to be noticed. This is becoming more difficult with our addiction to cell phones and the disconnection it creates. I hope the takeaway for you is to think differently when you read about the next school shooting, to pause in the choice moment and get curious about the point of pain that started the downward trajectory in their lives. And I hope you can thoughtfully respond with love by doing a positive action to be part of the solution. This can look like having the courage to step outside of your own busyness, distraction, or even pain to help someone and forgiving those who've hurt you to free yourself from pain and helping others do the same. Making sure your kid's school has choose love so they can learn the essential life skills that enable us to manage adversity and grow from it. I believe in forgiveness. John did the prison time and he's wanting to help now. I think his story can do this. Thanks for listening. And as always, thank you for choosing love. Hi, Scarlett. Hi, hey John. How are you?
0: I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I'm
1: good. I'm good. I've just been lo- running all over the place, busy with Choose Love. <laughs>
0: well, that's a good thing. I know it can be overwhelming at some times, but uh, I'm sure you're doing well. Uh, I love the background, by the way. That's that's new, I think, right?
1: Oh, I don't know. Is it? Maybe I didn't have it on last time. I can't remember. I usually yeah. have it on.
0: Maybe I just didn't notice. It sticks out to me today. I love it. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Always yeah. spreading the message of love.
0: It's it's a very powerful message and and yet again I would love to to commend you for for your path and your journey and everything that you've been doing. It's it's amazing and it's inspiring.
1: Thank you, John. I really appreciate that. I'm looking yeah. forward to doing our our second our second edition of mm-hmm. the John Romano podcast here today on Choose Love. And so yeah. why don't we just why don't we just start? You want to start? Yeah. Let's let's go for it. Awesome. All right. Uh, Welcome, everybody, back to the Choose Love podcast. I am here with John Romano again because we had so much to talk about that we thought we need to do another episode, and uh, we have a lot to talk about this time. So, uh, John, if you could just... I don't know if it's better for you to recap or for me to recap the first podcast. Um, but I'm just, I'm, I'm continuing on personally in my search for the truth, the search for the source of pain that could lead someone to want to harm themselves and other people. Usually, homici- homicidal ideation starts with suicidal ideation. And uh, I'm talking with John because um, a few decades ago, You threatened, you actually broke into your high school and with a gun, uh, with the intention of killing yourself is what you've said. And that turned into um, what, you know, unfortunately became a school shooting technically. And uh, you were, uh, you went to trial, you went to prison for a long time, and now you're out. And wanting to be part of the solution, wanting to talk to people about what happened, wanting to explain yourself, not excuse yourself, but explain why. And that is exactly why I wanted to host you on this podcast, John, because I want to have those conversations. I know that you made a huge mistake and I've made huge mistakes too. Um, you went to prison and you you paid for that mistake. You're out now and you want to make the world a better place. And I really appreciate that. I mean, we learn as human beings from our mistakes. I Hopefully. <laughs> I know I've learned from mine. And I believe that you have learned from yours. You've thought about it. You've turned your life around. And in fact, when you got out... Um, and if you want to hear more in more detail about what happened, you can listen to the first podcast. But I really wanted to pick up this one with where we left off, which was uh, you getting out of prison, you coming back home, and uh, and then we were going to talk about what happened after that. So do you want to start there, John?
0: Yeah. Um, and yet again, thank you for, for having me on. Um, and you saying that you want to get to the, the core, right? And to have that difficult conversation, which it is a very difficult conversation. Um, and, and coming from your standpoint, I I can't believe it. It's, it's amazing that you're doing it and willing to talk to me. So thank you. Um, so, yeah, I had spent almost 17 years in prison. And when I came home, um, I had different jobs. I was very lucky to be able to find work. But I ended up going down the path of trying to help those in the community who needed it most. And I was working at a homeless shelter and I was running a clothing pantry and I was able to interact with people every day. And I loved it because that job saved me in a way, even though it would later almost kill me. That job saved me because... I had a sense of meaning and purpose where I believed that I was a good person, that I was somebody who had done something horrible, but that didn't mean that I was forever a horrible person, right? That I could still be somebody of positive value to uh, those around me in the community. So yeah I, I was working at this uh homeless shelter for a while and and actually um, or-
1: actually you know before before we go there, could we just mm-hmm. go back just a little bit because I want yeah um, the, the the people listening may not have li- may not go back and listen to the first podcast and I just right. I just um want to hear from you one more time um I know that you were very you were you know obviously without hope anybody who is going to uh, bring a gun into their school, e- even with the intention of killing themselves, is hopeless. Right. And yeah. uh, so that's what you were feeling. And then, uh, you know, y- you say that you did not mean to, Do you meant to shoot the gun up in the air, but people thought that you were shooting at them. There was a skirmish. Um, you went to prison but in prison, so you're angry, you are victimized, you feel, um, as you go into prison. But what is what is the path in prison that helped you turn it around, turn it from this angry um, person with so much pain? And if you want to talk about the source of that pain, that would be interesting. And then how did you go from school shooter into mm-hmm. somebody that that would work at a homeless shelter, that that liked that kind of work because it made them feel good about themselves, that didn't want to be defined in that way. Can you just explain that a little bit?
0: Yeah. So during my time in prison, you know, unfortunately, the Department of Corrections isn't really set up to help people turn their lives around. But there are Organizations that are outside of the prisons that reach in and help individuals, and I'm also very blessed to have my family and friends who stuck by my side. And uh, I would also and like choose to choose
1: just... love. Is actually choose love is one of those organizations. By the way, we have a we have a very powerful prison program. Oh wow!
0: I, I didn't yeah. know that. That's amazing. Yes. Um. Wow. Um. So, yeah, I would also like to mention, I don't know if you've heard of these books, but two books really helped me out a lot. Uh, The first one is called... Houses of Healing by Robin Kassarjian and this is a book that is written specifically for those who are incarcerated and it helps people get in touch with the trauma that they may have endured and then also process the trauma that they've made you know caused other people as well um, because a lot of people who've been incarcerated who have lashed out and hurt others have also been first hurt themselves. So it was very important for me to read that book and to be able to kind of get in touch with the uh, hurt that I had experienced. I've been sexually abused as a small child, um, which, you know, had been a source of pain. And again, I loved how you said that, you know, we're not making excuses for what I did. We are just kind of putting the pieces of the puzzle together so that people can have an understanding um, of what led me to be in a disturbed mindset. Um, So again, there's no justification, but for me to really deal with that trauma uh, from a young five, six, seven-year-old who was being horribly abused, um, and then also dealing with the pathway to violence, which, you know, the pain and the frustration kind of first goes inward, like you said, suicidal ideation is first and foremost in my mind, where uh, as a teenager, even though I had reached out for help, I began to feel hopeless. Again, that key word that you had mentioned. And the hopelessness, for me, it began to also turn into anger, because it was Well, I've asked for help. I've reached out. I've interacted with some of my school officials who wanted to ignore me and brush me off. And so that turned into the anger and the frustration. And now it's just that now it's not just me wanting to hurt myself, but I also want to make sure that others feel my pain, that others can no longer ignore me. And so that's what led me down that path to go into my school that day where I wanted to die and I also wanted to spread that pain to others. And so, uh, with that, you know, um, dealing with that while I was in prison and with this book as a guide, uh, it was really eye opening, especially when I was able to. It's very rare, but when you're in uh, prison and you're able to get around other people who are willing to be open and vulnerable. I mean, that's uh, hard to come by even out here in society, especially for men, uh, where we try to be, you know, tough and strong and vulnerability is a sign of weakness, when in reality it can be a sign of strength. So when I saw somebody else who was willing to open themselves up and be vulnerable talking about this, you know, the same things that I've been reading in this book, it really empowered me to start to open up myself first to... Um, really process it within my my own mind, but also to talk about it with my family and to share with them these horrible things that they didn't know had been going on. Um, and yeah, that really led to a, a strong sense of healing. Um, and then I, I would like to mention there was another, sorry, go it, ahead.
1: It actually takes a lot of courage to uh, face pain that you have instead of resisting, avoiding or numbing yourself. It takes a lot of courage. And I just wanted to say, um, I found a quote in an article that you had said in one Mm -hmm. of your talks, my goal that day was to go in there and die in front of people so that they would also be in pain so that they would also be struggling just like I felt I was. And that you basically said you wanted to be seen. You you didn't felt seen. You didn't feel heard, and you thought that this was the only way that that was going to happen. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So uh, again, this is the disturbed mindset I was in. Um, obviously, most teenagers feel unseen and unheard to a certain degree. Um, unfortunately, I I just took it upon myself to to force myself to be. Um, traumatizing everybody else the way that I did and uh, so yeah so that was the thing and that's why I also tell people that I've learned uh, through my own healing process is when we talk about how hurt people hurt people. There's the other side of that, which is healed people heal people. So those of us who have been through the darkness, whether it's somebody who maybe just struggles with depression, or anxiety, or any other brain disorder, you know, or situation in life, You've been through those hard times. Now you can help others through their hard times. And that's what I'm trying to do today. And when I speak out, it's again, not trying to justify what I did, but it's to give a little bit of understanding to people so that one, uh, those who may be in that dark place right now can understand that one, you're not alone. And two, There is a way out that does not include violence, whether towards yourself or towards others. I want people to know that you can have a good life. You can find those who are willing to help you. You can connect with them and you can have the good life that you want and you deserve. And on the other side of that, I also want people who maybe you haven't been struggling. Maybe you haven't been through a really dark depression and you don't understand it you want to or you're somebody who's in a position of power where you're a teacher or even a parent or law enforcement counselor you want to be able to better connect with somebody who is on that dark path so here i am i know it sounds um very you know just irrational because that's what it is but i'm trying to give to you the thought process that was going on within my mind when i was a teenager so that we can make those changes and help those people who need it so that nobody does anything like what i did
1: you know it's interesting because we're trying to do the same thing mm-hmm. i am i believe that the reason we're here as humans the reason that we have all these difficult experiences is so that we can learn from them and then take that wisdom from that learned experience both good and bad you know the the experiences themselves and use it to help other people so this is why i am on this podcast and i invited you because i think that you have a lot to teach us obviously that we haven't learned and we haven't dealt with because on the top of every parent's mind is the safety health and well-being of their child and uh and and so i think that you have a a, a lot to teach us and i really appreciate you cuz i know it takes courage to come on here and to speak out and and to say that um now with that being said you know i i think that we we noticed that your hand, as you use your hands and you had showed us at the la- at the the ending of the last podcast that you have um braces on your hands mm-hmm. and um so do you want to just continue your story and then uh and then add you know what's happened you said that the job at the homeless shelter it saved you uh, even though it almost killed you that was kind right. of a statement so i know everybody's wondering what you mean by that
0: yeah so um as i was working there for a while and uh, interacting with those who need help the most, but they're also usually dealing with their own mental health struggles. Um, and yeah, so one day, um, August 29th, uh, 2022, um, while I was at work, an individual came in and he was you know, coming in looking for lunch because we were a daytime service. And I happened to be down in the cafeteria area, just kind of helping out. And he got into a little bit of an argument with one of my co-workers. Um, long story short, I don't want to go into to, to, too much detail, um, but we needed to ask him to leave. And I was the one to ask him to leave. And uh, we did not have security. We did not have metal detectors. We did not search people's uh, property. And you know, none of us could have expected that he had, um, he had swords, some small swords uh, in his uh, locker that we had available for people. And yeah, so he um, ended up coming out and uh, attacking me. Uh, and, um, you know, I, I ran and then when I could no longer run because he was, uh, he had caught up to me and, and knocked me down on some stairs. Uh, thankfully, I had the higher ground, and I was able to kick and fight for my life, literally, but he practically cut off my my right leg from the knee down. He practically cut off my left foot, um, and then later on, he would manage to get up and start swinging for my head as I was lying on the stairs, and I held up my, my, my arms to protect me, um, and that's when I almost lost my hands, um, but somehow, miraculously, I still survived. I don't know how I don't know why um but here I am I'm still alive so um so uh yeah now I'm on this whole other chapter of my life saying you know what maybe I'm alive for a reason uh
1: you are alive for a reason.
0: yeah so I gotta make the best of it. I gotta interact with people like you I have to help out uh the most that I can. Because I could have died that day. Yeah. And uh, so it is, I, I don't know, uh, you know, if you on a spiritual level, why am I alive? I don't know, but I'm going to make the best of it. Uh, and I'm going to do what I can to speak up and to help and to share this unfortunate perspective that I have. Um, but I also have to continue to work on my healing yet, get, yet again, now on another, uh, such a different, Uh, wavelength, where now I've become the victim of a horribly senseless violent crime. This individual did not know about me or my past. He didn't know my name. We did not even it wasn't even he and I who got into an argument. You know, um, the, the individual who he had gotten into an argument was more like behind the counter you know, where they were serving lunch, uh, so I guess he just kind of latched onto me, targeted me, seen me as the person that he hated the most, and was blaming me for everything. And yeah, so well, now, the
1: one that was asking I, him to leave, right?
0: I, yeah, you know, I mean, my other coworkers were there, you know, basically telling him the same thing. Um, but, um, but yeah, so well, now it, I'm healing from that, yeah, and. It
1: was, it- really interesting john though how you chose to respond to that attack because two ways that we can respond when someone attacks us and you chose one way and and i want to know what you chose and why
0: i mean i'll use what you say I, i chose love i i chose to forgive him um And, you know, even the when the police uh, came and spoke to me, you know, they didn't even ask a a statement from me. There were so many witnesses and security footage and everything. And he admitted to everything. But, uh, you know, when I spoke with the D.A. later on, I I told the D.A. I was against him getting a life sentence. He was facing 25 to life. um, And I was against that. I did not want him to be locked away forever sure he tried to end my life but he didn't succeed and i'm still living a good life it's a different life but it's a good life and i want him to be able to have the opportunity and i want to um hopefully you know, call for more resources in the prison system, more organizations in the prison system, like yours, you just mentioned that, uh, to be able to help him and turn his life around. And the forgiveness aspect is, forgiveness is not saying that what he did was okay or that it wasn't a horrible thing or that he shouldn't be held accountable. Me forgiving him is me being able to say, you know what, I'm not gonna hold on to the anger anymore. It's burned its natural course and I don't wanna add fuel to the fire anymore. I'm gonna let it go. And, you know, it, it's time for me to move on with my life. Yeah, my life will be, like I said, different, but I'm not gonna be mad at him anymore. I'm I'm gonna wish him well, which I was able to do um, in court when he was sentenced. He, he eventually, um, you know, he was offered, um, first they were trying to get him to plead guilty to 20 to life. And that's when I told them, I said, no, I don't want him to have that life sentence on the back. Uh, So they offered him a 25-year sentence um, where he won't have to see parole. He'll just simply do uh, his time and go home. He has the opportunity to go home after 21 years, um, as it is in New York State. You do 85% of your sentence. But anyways, uh, I say that to say that when in court, I said that to him, I forgive you. I hope that you're able to find those in prison that I was able to find in prison who are on the right path, who are trying to do the right thing and turn their lives around. And I wish you well. And I believe that, you know, maybe that'll help him. Maybe that'll be, you know, fuel for him to turn his life around. But at the end of the day, it was a way for me to say, I'm, I'm moving forward with my life. And I'm not going to allow anger to, you know, be the, it, it's not going to be the fuel that that I run on anymore. I'm, I'm going to run on, you know, choosing love, I guess.
1: That's, that's amazing that you did that. I think anybody that's listening now, even if they are listening um, with some amount of reservation to what you're saying, I mean, that would be hard for anyone to do to forgive somebody who who caused them to be disabled for the rest of their life and we can see that in your hands no. and i don't know you know what the disability is with your legs or your feet but that's a hard way to live and <clears throat> that is really that is really beautiful do you think that The experience, your experience in school and the whole incident with the gun, do you think that that helped you come to the conclusion that forgiveness was the way to go?
0: Yeah, because of the fact that I went through such an extreme where... I was forced to have to look at very deep within myself and recognize the darkness within myself, the struggles within myself, but also I had to deal with all of the pain that I had from different sources of my life. Um, And I worked on that, like we spoke on, before the attack ever happened. So when the attack happened, I already had those uh, capabilities within me to forgive, to put myself into somebody else's shoes and to see that you hate the action and not the actor, right? That you believe that everybody is capable of, or everybody should be given the opportunity to have resources to turn their lives around. And I believe that for him, I believe that for others, you know, and I say that with the reservation of, I do believe that there are some people that deserve to be uh, in prison for the rest of their lives, but even those people who deserve to be in prison for the rest of their lives, they deserve those same opportunities to turn their life around and to live a good life. You know, even if it is in prison, they deserve to find that peace of mind, that You know, find that sense of healing within, and that they may be able to talk with others, reach out with others, and hopefully heal others before other people go down the same path that they did. So, if somebody deserves to spend the rest of their lives in prison, so be it, but allow them to have that opportunity to turn their life around, to help themselves, to help other people. Because, as we speak of, you know, those who have been through that darkness can help others when they're in that dark place. And so many people who have been incarcerated or currently are incarcerated can be sources of healing for many people.
1: Absolutely. And I want you to know that we have a program within the prison system that does that. So we have have, um, lifers, so people who are in for life, actually teaching This Mm -hmm. teaching the choose love formula, which is courage, gratitude, forgiveness, compassion, and action, um, teaching that to inmates so that when the inmates get out, they have these essential life skills. They know how to have healthy relationships and how to manage their emotions and how to make responsible decisions. All the things that we have to learn as humans and then we have to practice for the rest of our lives, they are learning them and they are doing good things with them from behind bars because they will not get out but they have found a purpose
0: Mm -hmm. through
1: love and helping other people
0: that's amazing and um You know, I I hope that you're able to spread that to other states uh, and and to turn those prison systems around where you're introducing this new program that is lacking in many places. I can tell you here in New York State, there are some uh, programs, but I don't think anything on that level, on that sense of depth. And, um, you know, I would love to talk with you in the future if we can work together on making that a reality in the New York State prison system.
1: Yeah, let's definitely do that. Um, you know, I was thinking, I, I doing a little bit of online research before we had our first podcast. Mm-hmm. I was watching some of your social media. Yeah. and you know, you have at that time, I think I just came on the scene at the time when you had a lot of pushback from people. And yeah. I was shocked that there was so much anger that you were even on social media, even, and, and your, your message has been, I just want to help. I just want people to understand so that we can prevent this in the future. But even that they thought you don't have the right to share your message and you don't have a right to be here, even though you had done your time and uh, you know, you, you'd paid for what happened. Uh, And it was interesting to me. And, and I really thought about that because Getting back to the concept of forgiveness, um, people make mistakes, and people make huge mistakes, and and I think that we need to recognize that people—it's—it's it's what people do that is evil, that is monstrous, but it is not th- who they are, and that's right. something that that I have. Really thought about a lot as I have gone out and spoken to school shooters. Right. I, ha- I have to, and I and I ha- and I say and I tell people they weren't born that way. Right. They were not born that way. So we need to get curious and ask what happened between when they were born and they did that evil, monstrous thing. What? happen. And of course, we know that it's some point of pain, we need to start getting curious and we need to address the pain so that we can come to a solution. And unless we do that, we're not going to solve this issue. And that's been my message for the last 10 years. And we haven't solved it because I think we want to blame. We want to think that you're the actual problem. And then I think, you know, then then we're not responsible for it at all. And, and I'm not, you are responsible for what you did. It was wrong, but there is a, a problem in us being able to help you manage the pain that you were in from the abuse that you underwent. And yeah. I, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, and I would like to say that I think for a lot of people, first with the social media thing is people believe that I may still be a threat to the community, whether they believe that I may still be violent, or that I might influence others to be violent. And I've always done my best when I spread my message is, you know, I'm not glorifying what I did. I'm not trying to present myself in this cool way or anything for what I did. No, I'm trying to say what I did was horrible. And here are the things that I want people to know. And I want the kids. Who may be watching and who may be influenced by me to not think what I did was cool and that I'm got, you know, any type of uh uh social media influence because of the shooting? No, people respond to me on social media because I talk about healing, I talk about forgiveness, I talk about what we can do to help one another, and I understand that a lot of people they, they don't care, they don't want to respond to that. Um, and I think that it's important that uh, first, I haven't posted anything on social media in the past like five, six weeks because I'm still reevaluating how much help am I providing to the community? And how much pain? I've always known that I'd be hurting people and traumatizing some people. But I I always thought that, you know, the balance would weigh more in the help that I'm providing, because I, I do have quite a large following. And I think that that's because a lot of people are connecting, and a lot of people are getting some um, Benefits from my message, from me sharing my story, uh, but it's still very controversial, and I'm still trying to figure out what's the best way to move forward to help people as much as I can, with you know, with causing as few uh, problems as I can for other people. But I would love for us to talk about the what's the solution, right? I think the solution is obviously early childhood intervention is best, and we both believe in the social emotional learning programming. And I think that if we can get that into more schools, if we can be having teachers able to have these discussions with students, um, whether it's, you know, providing them with more tools, more um, understanding of what's going on within them, what's going on within those around them, how to help themselves, how to help other people. That is one of the biggest things that we can be doing, not just to prevent school shootings, but to prevent suicides, to prevent addiction, to prevent all those people, because the vast majority of people who suffer from some type of mental health issue, they suffer in silence and they they never lash out and hurt other people and I think that it's important that we focus on that and we get that into the school systems. And then hopefully we can even be um, presenting the same information for adults and helping adults. But I think obviously the best, the most influential thing we can be doing is that early childhood intervention. Kindergarten through 12th grade, I believe every year, some type of age appropriate um, social emotional learning program should be there. And I believe, and I've made videos and talked about it, you know, because teachers ask me, how can I help? What can I do? Well, listen, if you're an English teacher or a history teacher, when you're sharing a story with your students, make sure not just ask them what happened or why did it happen. Go more deep. What were the emotions that the characters were feeling or in history class? You know, if you're talking about current events or history, what were the emotions going on? What were maybe some of the um, red flags that popped up if somebody did something wrong that others could have noticed or that the individual could have noticed within themselves? So in this way, you're teaching children empathy and you're also teaching them how to recognize what's going on within them, how to recognize when they may need help. How to ask for help, and you're also teaching others how to accept when somebody asks for help. Because I think that's another key issue is that when people ask for help, sometimes there might not be resources which we should be working more on. And sometimes people just don't know what to do. Um, so I, I believe that I think that is one of the best things that we can be doing is integrating that into the educational programming, because yes. Some people say that students should be learning that at home. That that's the family's job. Well, what happens when the family doesn't have those tools? They don't have that mindset. Their mental well-being might be a bit off. You're just going to end up promoting this generational. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think generational violence, generational pain and suffering. You know, mental health issues just gets passed on without that intervention from outside. And so I think that's one of the best things that we can be doing um, that, that could have helped me, you know, Maybe, I, I don't know, because I, I did go to therapy, but at the same time, there's this stigma that we need to be working on. Because even when I went to therapy, I was still afraid to open up all the way because I also knew that there was this stigma and I didn't want people to look at me in a certain way. I didn't even want my therapist to look at me in a certain way. And that's really the main reason why I open up and talk about sexual abuse is, is not just to give people an understanding because that doesn't really have, you know, that's not the reason excuse me, why I did what I did, but I hope to let others know it's okay to talk about it. If that happened to you, which one in four girls has experienced some type of sexual violence, um, one in five or one in six boys has experienced some type of sexual violence, I want you to know you're not alone. It's unfortunately a lot more common than you think and that you can open up and talk about it with some people and you can get the help and you can still have a great life no matter what happened to you, you can still have a great life.
1: Yeah, that's beautiful, uh, John. And you know that we are totally aligned in that. I saw Jesse's chalkboard message of nurturing, healing, love. I thought, how do I elevate that in schools and um, found social emotional learning? And so I've been advocating for that for the last 10 years. We have probably one of the most comprehensive social emotional learning programs but we also include all this other great stuff we synthesize the best of the best of what was available and we offer this to schools homes and communities at no cost because i know this would have saved my son's life and it's not therapy it is essential life skills you need from very little. Like you said, kindergarten, I say pre-K. We even have a prenatal program because we have to really safeguard brain development. And we know uh, early on your brain is mostly you know, develop by the time that you're five, we can change our brain wiring through neuroplasticity. But uh, a lot of the brain development happens by the time kids are five. And that is such an important time. So we've got this pre-K program that's filled with uh, brain science and uh, it's wonderful. And I always tell teachers when you're driving by uh, a daycare, drop this off there because those are the kids that are coming into your classrooms. Mm -hmm. Like me, I mean, I drop my young kids off at daycare every day before work and then pick them up there after work. They spent a long time at daycare and uh, I know that they didn't have something like this and they could have benefited from it. Um, So, so important, like number one important. And then, you know, and that's different. That is giving skills and tools for kids to be able to manage pain to be to be able to to manage their their difficult feelings to understand them to move through them um, this is what Choose Love teaches. And, and uh, you know, I always say adversity and trauma is not the same thing. Adversity is hardship and difficulty and pain. And we all face that as human beings. And that's there for a reason to help us grow. But we have to understand that it's called post-traumatic growth. And our program is the only program that teaches kids about post-traumatic growth. It reduces the fear of difficult events that happen in your life with the understanding that This is there to help you grow. So you have more curiosity than fear. Um, Really, really important lessons that I wish that I knew that I didn't know. So I wouldn't have been able to give to my kids. I learned myself through the Choose Love program. And, uh, And so that's really important as is I know that uh, our government now is really focusing on mental health, which is a a great thing. I was just at a nationwide conference with someone um, from Washington, from the Department of Ed, who was talking about providing more uh, mental health resources for schools, which is great. Um, But even then, there are so few, and the need is so great, and so you know, both of what we're talking about has to has to be done because we're in a crisis right now. So important, so important. Um, you know, right now, through this podcast, the majority of our audience is educators and administrators, guidance counselors, and parents. They are the ones that are listening right now. So knowing that, John, I'm just wondering what you would tell them now with with my experience with my interviews with individuals who have committed these crimes um what i've been saying is that you know i ask i i want to know what could we have done how did we fail you what needs were left unmet because you weren't born this way um and i want to ask that question but if if I boil it down to one word, I've been saying it would be the word seen, that the, the guys that I've spoken to that have perpetrated these crimes do not feel seen. And I think that you alluded to that maybe in our previous conversation. But with that in mind, I'm wondering what you could say to our audience right now. What changes could they make in how they approach their kids? And and really kind of what what do you wish, John, had happened for you when you were growing up? I mean, obviously you would wish that the abuse didn't happen, but it did. So, and it does a, a lot for kids. Kids are struggling right now with a lot of things. So what would you, what kind of advice would you give the educators and the parents listening that you would have liked to have?
0: Yeah, so knowing that your audience is mostly a lot of those people, right? I would strongly, I I wanna speak mostly to the administrators because I've spoken to so many uh, teachers who have a good heart and want to do so much and battle with the administration. And I've spoken with some people from that administration and sometimes it's all about what differences can you make from that standpoint in the administration? What do you allow in your school system? And I think that first and foremost, when we talk about um, people not feeling seen, it's a thing of there are many avenues in which students can get help oftentimes, right? But if you're not making it known, if you're not making it easily accessible, and if some students are having problems with those pathways that you have to help, um, unfortunately, some people are going to give up easier than others. And they're going to give up...
1: Are you talking about administrators
0: giving up? You- well, no, I'm sorry, I'm talking about like students, you know, so if the administrators, if you're not making, if you're not giving enough um, knowledge to everybody about the different, um, you know, resources, the different things that are available to everybody, if you're not making those things um, easily accessible, if you're not managing them well, and also that goes for, how the administration is, te- is interacting with teachers, um, people are going to give up and when they give up they feel hopeless and when they feel hopeless they are more likely to want to hurt themselves and sometimes they're going to want to hurt others because they're going to, uh, as we spoke about, the anger is first inwards and then for some people it goes outwards and so for the administration to be making sure that you have whatever resources you have that are oftentimes limited, but you gotta distribute them differently. You gotta make sure that the teachers know everything that's available because there were sometimes there's teachers who don't even know everything that's available within their own schools. And you have students especially that don't know everything that's available. Um but I think that
1: parents, first parents of, don't know because I've been one of those parents. Yes, yes. He did help and has not known a thing about what my rights were or or you know the help that was available to me.
0: Yeah. So I'm thinking for administration, you got to be more open. Your communication has to be more open, but you also have to, if things are not working, you have to change them up. If you have limited resources, you have to mix things up. You have to reallocate where maybe some funds are going. And, you know, if you have a lot of funds in some programs that are helping a bit, but you're lacking elsewhere, sometimes you got to put funds in places that people might not like it. You got to advocate for more counselors, for more um, mental health advocates. Uh, There are schools in America that have school resource officers, police officers, but they don't have counselors. So you're setting up a system for failure. You're setting it up where, hey, we don't have these people who can interact with you and help you out the most as a counselor, but we do have somebody who may arrest you if you mess up you know what kind of uh you know what kind of message is that sending the kids and what kind of you know um system is that for your finances where you're opening it up to the police to come in but not for counselors to come in um you know so that's one of the things that, that always catches me is how many people, and like I said, I talk to administrators, too, who struggle because, you know, they have people over them as well. Sometimes you have to allow more openness, more communication and honestly, more love. You have to allow the fact that if you're just a teacher and your administration isn't allowing you to Uh, to really to be open with some things they're limiting what you can and cannot teach find a way around it find a way to connect with your students find a way to also open up yourself and share with your students the struggles that you or other adults have been through and made it through because that's another thing I think we spoke about that before but A lot of times as adults, it's important for us to open up to kids and to let them know the struggles that you may be going through. Yeah, they might be a little bit different in today's generation than 30 years ago. But you know what? A lot of us did things that we're not proud of or a lot of us went through struggles. A lot of us were victimized or did something horrible, but we're able to get back on the right path and still able to have a good life. And there is hope for you no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've experienced, no matter what you've done, there is hope for you. And you gotta let your your kids know that. You gotta let your students know that. And the best way to do that isn't just by saying it like that, but by sharing stories. And that sometimes is the hard part of, how do you share stories of like, yeah, you know, uh, I lived a crazy life or somebody else, you know, lived a crazy life, um, but made it through. Uh, that can be very important. And I've known some of my friends who have kids and that really connects. That really allows them, the kids, the students, to then feel more comfortable also to open up to the parents, to the teacher, to whoever they're interacting with. Because it's not a one way street. You have to have a two way street. You have to let them know that, yeah, here's some of my life experiences. Here's me opening up to you. And then that's when they're going to reciprocate sometimes more often than not, and eventually open up to you and let you know that they may be going through something similar or that they may be struggling, that they really don't feel so alone anymore, that they now feel seen, that they now feel heard, understood, and that they now can maybe see those pathways to see those ways in which they can make their way life forward. And the people who they can connect with, the teachers, the administrators, or the parents who are open and connecting with the kids that way, those students will know that they can go to them when they're struggling, that those uh, teachers, administrators, whoever, are the ones who, when the system might not be working for them, they can go to that adult and that adult will do the best that they can to push the way forward. Like one trusted adult. One trusted adult can make a huge difference. and
1: You have that, John?
0: Listen, I I did, but I'll tell you this. The reason why I say it is because I think as a teenage boy, um, you know, with a, a single mother, when she tried to play the role model of father and mother, sometimes I didn't connect with her. Sometimes I was struggling with that idea of what is masculinity? What is it to be a man? And did I have any men that were in my life that I really looked up to? Kind of, but none that really, uh, that I connected with that really opened up with me in a huge way uh, in which I felt comfortable going to them with certain things. And- Did
1: you went at school?
0: No, you know, there, there was, and that's the other thing too, is uh, I think that there are some teachers that I really liked on a you know on a academic level like wow like they really help me when I struggle with this subject they really help me but I think on a deeper emotional level which might be too much to ask from our teachers they're already getting burnt out from a lack of support and, and resources that they need but for teachers to open up on a on an emotional level which I also know, I'm sure that there's some boundaries that have to be established and you don't want to cross them, but we have to find some way in which they can be a more open role model, able to connect on a deeper level with their students. Um, Because especially when you might not feel comfortable opening up to your parents, um, but you might feel more comfortable if it's a teacher who seems really open and who might not crack down on you for if you open up to them about something that you did or experienced or thought, then, yeah, that third party, you know, that's outside of your family, that's outside of your home, that bystander is what the FBI calls them. The bystander can make a whole lot of difference. You know, that can be the person who can not only be a source of comfort but that can also be the person who sounds the alarm if things are really going down a very dark path.
1: Is there something you could point to that you could say, if if I had that, if mm-hmm. they did this, I would not have done what I did? Is there something you can point to?
0: Yeah. Um,
1: Some need I, that was unmet, that if it was met, you would not have done what you did.
0: Yeah, I, I think that it was definitely... Um, you know, whether we're talking from the, the the school standpoint or societal standpoint, I mean I think it's really that um that that male role model in my life that was not just there for me, because I did have like an uncle, you know, or two that were really good, but somebody who is more on a deep emotional level that I could have connected with. Um, I wish I'd had that. I wish um I wish I had had somebody who it wasn't just I looked up to and wanted to be like, but I wish I had somebody that I felt more comfortable opening up to. And that can be very tricky. But like I said, sometimes the more that we opened up to others, maybe the more that's, you know, one of those um, men in my life could have opened up more on a deeper level to me. Mm-hmm. Maybe uh, I would have connected in a deeper way and, you know, gone about a different path. And, um, Again, I'm not blaming, I had, you know, I had good people in my life. Uh, There were so many opportunities for me to choose differently. And I wish I had. But, Mm -hmm. you know.
1: Yeah. But do you think that you have come to a place where you forgive yourself?
0: Yeah self forgiveness is definitely uh it's harder than forgiving others right um because i think that we're dealing with the you know our thoughts in our head all day every day and it's easier to forgive other people um whereas yeah i come to a point uh, many times throughout the years where i'm like okay you know i understand forgiving myself is like forgiving somebody else it's not saying what i did you know i'm not trying to justify or say it wasn't a horrible thing. No, I can say what I did was horrible, that I should be held accountable. And that, you know, I've caused damage that I'll never understand to so many other people. But that doesn't mean I have to be angry with myself. That doesn't mean that I have to keep myself down at a low place. No, I can rise up and have a good life, that I deserve that. And yeah, sometimes I tell myself that and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I still struggle with that, to be honest. Yeah.
1: Well, I believe that you deserve to be forgiven. I forgive you for, for what you did. And I, I believe that, I believe that people make mistakes, really bad mistakes, but I believe that they can come back from them. I believe they can learn from them. I believe that we're all here to learn from difficulty, adversity, trauma in our lives Uh, even, even mistakes, even bad mistakes and use what we've learned to help other people. And I see you doing that. And, you know, that's, that's a way of healing for yourself. And I think you continue to work on forgiveness. Sometimes, you know, I, we teach forgiveness as a choice. It's a choice that you make, and then it becomes a process. And it's one that You have to continue and maybe for the rest of your life, but it's the only way to set yourself free from anger and pain and blame uh, for yourself or for other people. I still work on forgiveness for myself for things and uh, and I still work on forgiveness for other people as well. It's a process and that's okay. Uh, and I'm glad that you that you're on that journey. I think it's really important. And I really appreciate you being here today, sharing the wisdom that you have from your experience, sharing your pain, being honest with us and and um, adding value in in helping us be part of the solution. And I do look forward to working with you going forward. Uh, to to see if we can get the prison program in New York State and to reach out to schools too. and uh, and I think that you could you have a lot, you have a lot of wisdom to share for um for young men in particular. And I think that you could be the role model that you always wanted to have for other people because I think that, especially now in society, there is a dearth of very strong male role models, and we need them. And uh, and so anyway, I, I thank you for joining us once again today. This is part two. And audience, if you have not heard part one, you're going to want to go back and watch part one. And uh, you know what? I'm thinking there's probably going to be a part three about how we're working together to make the world a better place.
0: sounds amazing. Thank you so much for having me on and to your audience. I really appreciate the opportunity to to speak to people. And um, I I hope that some of the things that I've said have been helpful.
1: Thank you, everybody, for choosing love. Hey, hey,
0: oh, it's all part of us. We can all choose love. It'll lift you up. If you let it in Let the healing